Hey, this is Chris Manning from Locked on Cavs. On today's show, Evan and I are going to talk about Cavs-Lakers, Cavs-Clippers, those two late West Coast Cavs games that we missed, talk about some of the roster stuff that has changed in the last couple of days, and talk about what Tyron Lue, the ex-Cavs coach, said about the job in a lengthy interview uh, with Joe Varden of The Athletic. That's coming up today on Locked on Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. You are Locked On Cavaliers, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, Evan. Hey, how's it going, Evan? How are you doing um, with us getting past the the rough stretch of this first West Coast Cavs trip of the year? I'm hanging in there. It's not too, too bad. I can't say the same for the Cavs, but, you know, you and I both kind of called it going in. The Lakers and Clippers are both arguably the top two to three teams if you want to lump Milwaukee in there as well in the NBA. So high expectations, pretty expected results at this point. But, you know, not too, too bad. I'm glad to see them back on a little bit more of a normal time schedule going forward, though, because I tried staying up to at least halftime and then maybe a little bit in the third quarter for both games, and I was hating myself the next morning both days. So, yeah. No, how about you, man? How you doing? I'm good. I, I know that I'm washed, so I didn't even try to like get to watching those games. That's just like a lot. That's like way too much work for me, frankly. Um, that's just like I, I need sleep. I got, I've got if I get under like six hours at this point, like right now, I, last night I got under six. I'm like a little, you know, a little suboptimal as a result. But the Cavs in these two games, uh, just I'm sure everyone knows by now what the scores were. But lose 128 to 99 to the Lakers. Kevin Love had 21 in that one. Sexton and Garland both at 16. Tristan at 17 to 10 with LeBron um, leading the AD less Lakers with 31 points on 12 to 16 shooting in 31 minutes. Dwight Howard at 21 and 15 off the bench. And then against the Clippers um, in the second half of that back to back, the Cavs lose 128 to 103. Jetty has 21, 5 of 8 from 3 for him. Uh, no Kevin Love in that one. Uh, Colin Sexton is 25. Garland has his first career double-double with 14 points and 10 assists. And uh, in, in addition to having, um, a, but on a 5 of 16 shooting night, John Henson had 10 points that one. Delhi had 14 in his best game. Um, it felt like in quite a while. And that was in a game where Brandon Knight played 26 minutes, but had zero points and missed all six of his shots. Um, let's start with the Laker game, Evan. Okay. What to you was the the takeaway, which to me, uh, for me, oh, and just for the record, Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard had forty three points against the Cavs. Like Kawhi Leonard, good at basketball. Um, just but a what? To, just just quite good. Um, <laughs> just a little good at this thing. Um, but what to you stood out from the Lakers game? You know, the Cavs were up, and I'm doing some pretty basic math right now. They're up by one point at halftime, and if I thought for a second, you know. Maybe the Lakers are having a bit of what Denver was going with. They're playing down to their opponent, and Cleveland looks sharp for the most part. Darius Garland looked good. He had a couple really good passes. Colin Sexton, you know, was good out there. Kevin Love was abusing Kyle Kuzma. And then the Lakers kind of put things back into perspective on why they have one of the best players in the world on their roster and a pretty solid bench unit, and they just turned it on for a few minutes in the third quarter, and that's when I shut it off because – uh, they took the lead and never looked back. And then in the fourth, I'm just looking at the box score now. Uh, they outscored Cleveland 44 to 29. So it was it was over before it was over. And the real icing on the cake was uh, Dwight Howard splashing a three pointer uh, in the I think it was in the fourth quarter when he hit that. But 
No, the Lakers are incredible, and um, I we're going to talk a little bit when we talk about t- the Clippers with Ty Lue, but I do wonder how far this team can go without LeBron and Anthony Davis, without Anthony Davis or LeBron, but, you know, because there's always that concern with the Lakers that if one of those two or both of them are sitting on or, or out for the night, either due to load management or, in Anthony Davis's case, was at the Packers game the night before, um, I wonder how quickly this team will fall apart and what they can do to kind of like push themselves over the edge to prevent that from happening. But no, you know, it's what I expected and it was fun while it lasted. And if the game ended at halftime, quality one for the Cavs overall. But, you know, the young guys look sharp. Jetty didn't get his haircut, which was a surprise. But um, no, I mean, I didn't expect to win. It was fun for two solid quarters and then it just kind of fell apart because the Lakers decided to take the game seriously for a few minutes. So those are just basically my analysis from the two and a half, two and three quarters quarters I watched of this game. Yeah, I thought it was fun that we saw Tristan uh, basically ride out and go defend LeBron. Like, that was, like, the Cavs' first option. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's still a little weird, like, seeing LeBron, like, interact with all these guys and, like, interact. You know, he went over and said hi to John Michael and said hi to Austin Carr. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't, like, do, like, a sweep of, like, anything he said post game. But, um, you know, I, I, I don't when I know like him and Kevin like exchanged wine at the very least. I don't know if they were like hanging out or whatever, but like it is what it is. I, I thought Kevin played pretty well. 21 yeah. um, kind of I thought was better early and kind of was the, when the Cavs were playing with energy in that first half and kind of being a little more precise. I thought they did a much better job um, of kind of getting the offense going, getting the offense kind of flowing in a real way. Yeah. Um, you know, it was nice to see Exum back in this game as well. He missed a couple games of the flu. Like, he he hasn't, in the two games since he came back, he hasn't been, like, at the same level he was, which sucks for him because he was. He played his best game, like, right before he missed a couple due to, due to being sick. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I liked what we saw, I think, overall from the starters. The bench was just kind of the letdown. But I thought the energy, really, when the Lakers, like, weren't really, didn't feel like they were taking the Cavs all that seriously, Um when the cab when that dipped and then the Laker LeBron in particular kind of ramped things up, that's when like you just saw the disparity between these two teams. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I thought Love was decent. I I thought Jetty was pretty decent. Um, he had a really two really good back to back shooting nights with starting four or six in this one. Um, but about what I expected, you know, I think a six a winning the first quarter, um, winning the first half the way they did, I think was was a pretty impressive thing. And then you know it makes all the sense in the world to me that they got absolutely shellacked in the third quarter. No, I I hundred percent agree. It's just um, yeah. I don't know. I'm just kind of like scanning the box score now. And I'm kind of replaying that night in my head. And Jetty had a good night, like you said. Kevin had a good night, and then it was interesting, like you said, to see Tristan defending LeBron. But it really puts things into perspective of where the Cavs are at right now, where they have to put their starting five on arguably the best small forward in the NBA, unless you want to look at Kawhi or if you consider Giannis a small forward at this point. And it was um, kudos to him. He finished with 17 and 10 and wasn't an awful, awful night for him. But yeah, like you said, the Lakers were playing down to the Cavs and weren't really take. They're just kind of joking around for the first half. And then they, uh, you know, they, everyone joked about it when LeBron was in Cleveland. When he flips the switch, the switch is flipped. And they flipped the switch for a solid stretch in that third quarter and part of the fourth quarter as well. And it just, it was it was a blowout. But you know what? Darius Garland had a good night too. And I uh, 
I'm happy because he had a solid night against the Nuggets as well. And we're about to touch on the Clippers in a second, had a good night there. And I'm just glad that he's continuing to have these momentum building games where it's something to build upon when um, heading into like Friday's matchup against the Grizzlies and John Morant, who's absolutely incredible. And then I don't know how much he'll play up against Kobe White the following night in Chicago, but that'll be fun. And then, I mean, the Knicks are just as bad as the Cavs, so maybe all these confidence-boosting games and going against people in his draft class on this road trip is just the thing Darius Garland needs to like completely turn the corner and just start building upon what is starting to look like a promising rookie campaign. Yeah, the wrap of talking the Lakers game um, with Darius Garland, who apparently, according to Chris, the Chris Fedor story, um, quote loves LA. Um, very funny that that was like a through line of that story. Uh, Darius Garland on playing at the Staples Center for the first time against the Lakers. It was lit. It was crazy. The experience was just unbelievable. Um, just pretty funny quotes. Like that's like very like an, a pretty 19 year old like generic press quote. Um, and again, that's kind of Garland's press MO. He doesn't say quite too much to to people like us. Okay. Clippers game. Um, you know, I don't want to be like over simple, simple, simplified here or overly simple here, but Having Kawhi Leonard must be like, and the Cavs know this obviously because they had LeBron for a long time over two stints, but having a guy like Kawhi is like pretty freaking important and very nice to have. Um, having someone like Lou Williams, no. who was 10 to 13 from the field, two, four from three at 24 points also seems like it's a pretty nice luxury to have. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. And I mean, I think the Clippers have one of the top scoring benches in the NBA and Montrez Harrell normally is a bit of a monster, but he had 12 points, three rebounds, two assists, and he saw it overall. But yeah, no, just to touch your point, um, having Kawhi Leonard must be a real blessing in disguise. And let's just put it this way. This game, the final score is 128 to 103, which makes it seem closer than it actually is. But Kawhi scored 43 points in 29 minutes in this game. And uh, it wasn't close at all. <laughs> Um, and it's just scary to think that the Clippers have a little bit more of an extra edge when Paul George is back out there as well. And it's a lot of fun to see that the one of the biggest, if not the biggest city for the NBA has two of the best teams in the league that are probably going to go toe-to-toe in the playoffs, and it'll be a lot of fun. But this isn't a Clippers podcast, so let's just find some silver linings here. Jetty, Osman, uh, you know, like you said, in the game, it's the Lakers. He had a solid night shooting, finished uh, last night against the Clippers with 21 points, 5 of 8 from three-point range. And, you know, I was thinking about this during the game, and I tweeted it, and I thought about it today too. But maybe it's just because it's just such a stark difference not having Fred McLeod doing the commentary anymore. But that night, like last night for Jetty, would have been so much fun just to hear Fred just getting more and more excited, yelling the bottom every time he hit a three-pointer or telling everybody he's hotter than a blowtorch because Jetty was unconscious at some points during this game. And, man, I really miss just exciting commentary like that for big moments like this And because Fred was the biggest fan of this team through and through. And it would have made – I mean, it would have made the shellacking a lot more fun to watch. Yeah. I think that's right. I think also if this Jetty stuff um, ends up being kind of more real, I think that would be like a really nice um, mm-hmm. thing. You know, Sexton was also good in this game scoring wise. Like again, like I don't like four or six from three is a good thing for him. Um, oh, absolutely. You know, I think I think you know someone had pointed this out on Twitter, but like that his shot sometimes looks a little bit slow. I I think that's true. But if he makes them, like 
maybe that can kind of work for him. Um, it's good to get Larry Nance back as well. Only played 19 minutes in this one. Uh, didn't really yeah. do like only had it had a small impact on the box score, but um, good that the Cavs are getting a little bit healthier in that regard, especially if Kevin, whether he's traded in a couple of weeks or whether, you know, he's um, going to rest back to backs and whatnot. Like I think Larry, um, being back is just kind of a good thing, regardless of what you think of Larry Nance. I do think it's kind of a useful thing to, yeah. to have there. Um, and, you know, good for Darius Garland to get his first double yeah. double, and it's good yeah. that he gets it with a ten assists and finding guys and just kind of being um, settling into that distributor role. I think that, again, it's something that for him that that's gone well. And I you know I don't, he, you know, his um, did make a three or anything like that, but I didn't, I didn't like hate what I saw from Dean Wade in that game either. It's a loss. It's only mm-hmm. fourteen minutes. But um, I, I'm in, I'm interested in Dean Wade. I'm interested in Dean Wade too. And uh, shout out to Trevor Magnotti. But he said to me after the Cavs, I think it was over the summer when they signed him to a contract. He's like, yeah, it's actually a sneaky good signing for Cleveland because if he's healthy, he could have gone in this year's draft class, and he is comparable to a diet diet emphasis on two diets, Kevin Love, and maybe he can kind of carve out a bit of a niche bench role with the Cavs going forward because eh, I don't know. It's you got to find something fun to do with some of these uh, G league and two way guys. And um, actually I have an interesting question or a question for you because I think Chris Fedor was the one who noted that John Henson was more or less forced out of the rotation and it was causing a little bit of dysfunction in the locker room because you know, there can never just be a chill moment in the Cavs locker room. Um, he finished with 10 points, seven rebounds, two assists, and three blocks in 19 minutes last night against the Clippers. And granted, Ante Zizek is out with vertigo, which is never fun. But do you like, think sure. Henson... Sure, I feel really bad for Ante Zizic, by the way. Yeah, just yeah, hitting yeah. vertigo? Come on. That's just, especially because it's because he got hit in the head by um, Plumley in Denver. Like, it's just been a bad road trip for Zizek. But do you think that Henson is kind of playing a little bit of an extra edge just to prove a point to Beeline saying that I should stay in the rotation because I think the general consensus amongst like people that we know in like our little Cavs Twitter community is Henson should have never been pulled from the rotation to begin with. And last night he kind of gave a spark to the Cavs and we and I have preached for a while that he makes the bench unit. He's part of what makes the bench unit fun. And I'm just curious to think like, do you think going forward that, um, he's going to like at least remain in the rotation, even if Zizek is back and healthy and ready to go for Memphis on Friday. Yeah. You know, I think with, with Henson, I think it's kind of, there's twofold. I'm sure he certainly would like to play. Um, I think it probably, I think it's kind of clear that he is capable of playing and like, should be probably ahead of Zizic. I think he, um, to me more than anything does represent a need in just terms of needing a, a kind of rim protector, yeah. type um but he probably also does want to like this is like the last couple weeks to showcase his value um you know i don't like know this but like i wonder if he would be someone that would ask for a buyout you know i don't like again i don't know that this is not like either. any kind of reporting or anything like that um but it wouldn't surprise me if he was a guy that was like like hey i want to just take my i want to buy out my contract and like be go sign somewhere else and contribute to a playoff team that to me mm-hmm. that to me would just make some sense um you know, I don't know if that means it's like Houston or like one of these teams in the East that wants like a bot. Like he might make sense for Boston just as another yeah. body to throw at Embiid. Um, but if you can't trade him and the Cavs, you know, if 
this is his last couple weeks to showcase. So that, that to me, that's probably where it stems from. And, you know, we do know that there is that veteran kind of belief within the locker room. They, I think they all would certainly rather have more stable guys there kind of contributing when um, they're, that's just kind of what they sort of want, even if it's not exactly what the organization's doing. No, I agree. And it's interesting you mentioned Boston just to throw it, get the throw Henson at Embiid. But I guess just to throw a little poo poo on your parade there is Henson couldn't even touch the floor because apparently Andre Drummond was the factor in that. So I don't know if Henson's going to, if John Beeline doesn't believe that the Cavs can scrape by Detroit, who is in a similar situation to Cleveland at this point. <laughs> and, um, I don't know. It's just interesting John, to say that the, the caveat there is that John Beeline like has to be good at like not always telling the truth. Yeah. So he's not going to say was, like, he's not going to say it if there's like, he's going to come up with alternate reasons. That's just like what that's, that's part of what coaches do that it's not yeah. bad or good uh, John, or anything. It's just, it is what it is. Now, I'm not saying John Beeline is being a dick for the sake of being a dick to uh, like, just like telling us for the sake of that. But I don't know. It's just, I like Henson a lot. I think, the guys in the locker room like him a lot too. After he had that big night, after he came back from his injury, like everyone was hooting and hollering, giving him a hard time, and just like disrupting overall his um post game press, like just meeting with like video or session with the media. And so, I could see him being a guy who has to get bought out. But at the same time, I don't know. Maybe he sticks around and just kind of hopes and he can put together a solid enough season especially if he can carve out a role at the Cavs after the trade deadline maybe he can put together a solid enough session for the second leg of the year and then maybe just maybe get a decent enough contract to ride out with but I don't know it's definitely interesting to see what the Cavs gonna do going forward but I like Henson I think he should stay in the rotation I like I I feel bad for Zizek too but I think he'll still have an opportunity to play post-trade deadline because I don't know how much of a trade market there is for Ante out there. Yeah, we'll see. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to back talk about Ty Lue, um and everything he said to The Athletic. But before we do that, that want to let you know, we're going to be right back. But before we do that, letting you to know, letting you know that today's show is brought to you by Echelon. Echelon is a really, really cool product. To get fit in 2020, you don't have to join a gym or pay a ton for overpriced fitness equipment. The best way to get in shape and the best shape of your life is with Echelon. Go to echelonfit.com to discover their EX1 connected fitness bikes that offer a high-quality at-home cycling experience at less than half the price of a Peloton. Echelon has beautifully engineered products for everyone, whatever your activity level is. It offers daily live and on-demand studio classes right in your home you're going to love Echelon, but if you are 100% satisfied, we'll give you your money back. Join the hundreds and thousands of men and women who are getting food with Echelon today, and don't pay a ton for a Peloton. Buy an Echelon bike today for under $1,000. Today, go to echelonfit.com slash LONBA to learn more about this limited-time free offer where you can get a free Apple iPad and complete details of this exclusive offer. Echelon, it's your time. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N fit.lomba echelonfit.com slash lomba for that deal on the bike and a limited time free apple ipad in this exclusive offer we'll be right back and we're back today on lockdown calves um evan tyron lu spoke to joe varden of the athletic um the big pull out mm-hmm. quote from this is that he did not think he necessarily um should have been Fired. He wishes he says he says 
that he uh, wishes he was still coaching the team. Uh, according to this article, it was a quote full 12 second pause to consider the question before he answered it. Mm-hmm. Um, Ty, who's again, still only 43 years old now coaches under doc rivers with the Lakers is almost the, the Lakers coach uh, before ending up with the other team in LA. Um, what did you make of this kind of wide ranging piece? Um, which you, if you haven't read it, it's down in the show notes below. You can find a link to it down below. Well, I know, I know the whole, he wishes he coached the calf things. Cavs quote was the big thing people pulled from this, but why aren't people talking about the whole who the fuck is David thing? I legitimately yeah, sl- iconic iconic that. stuff from from Ty Lue. I No, I know, and I um when Fred McLeod, I keep talking about him. Maybe he's just really on my heart today. When he passed away, I actually shout out to the Clippers PR staff. They're wonderful people to work with. I actually got to talk to Ty for a little bit, and we were talking about we were just talking about Fred, and he was giving me a couple good just like lines about him, and then. I had a few more minutes of his time and I said, Hey man, how are you? Like, how are you doing? Like, you're in a good place. And he seemed like he was in a good place. And he kind of, it felt like to me after reading this quote that like, he wishes he never left because he was just the real time. He's like, man, people in Cleveland are always so good to me. And the media was always so good to me and the organization. I have nothing but good to say about. He's like, I, I miss it. He's like, I'm really looking forward to coming back. And no, it's just, I'm not surprised. And I think, I don't know. It's tough because I like Ty a lot. I think, I mean, he, without a doubt, he's the best coach in franchise history just for the fact that he led the team to three NBA finals and was an assistant on Blatt's staff in that, and for a fourth trip, but also won the championship in 2016. And what was a pretty crazy year because that's the same year he said, who the fuck is David? Um, and I get it. Like you want to stick around and see this rebuild through to the end and maybe like leave your imprint impression and ties a former point guard and the thought process coming into that last season before he was relieved of his duties was he was going to help mold and guide Colin Sexton into development and to helping make him the team's franchise point guard. But at the same time, like I think maybe some of his like coaches talk and maybe that's just the competitor and tie talking, but I think in the end it's for the best that he was let go because he was having legitimate anxiety attacks in that last NBA's finals run. And like he was sent home by the organization to get his sleeping habits, right? Get like everything just back on schedule and back on track. And um, what he shared with Joe, he also shared with Varden. He also shared with me is like, after he was let go by the Cavs, he just kind of traveled and found himself again a little bit and then lost weight. And he's just like, in a lot better of a place. Like when I talked to him, he sounded super laid back and relaxed. And he also told me to right when we finished the call, he's like, we're winning the championship. And I'm like, Oh, I appreciate the confidence. So I think he's in a lot better place under his friend and mentor, doc rivers. And I think it's all working out for the best for Ty, but you know, it always is like a, what if in the back of my mind, if the Cavs didn't decide to let him go. And I would be interested to see where the Cavs are at with him, but I don't know. I just I'm of the mentality that he was in such bad health that last finals run and then I think just the toxicity and negativity of how he kind of drew the line in the sand of saying he's going to stick with J.R. Smith and Kyle Korver was a bit of the last straw and maybe the Cavs are putting a little nicely saying like we're doing this for you we're not trying to like tack on all these losses and we're doing this for you just as much as we're doing it for ourselves um it's just it's 
yeah, no, I'm just always going to be wondering, like, what if Ty stuck around to see this thing through? Like, how different would this team be? And maybe, just maybe, um, the players don't absolutely hate playing for the current coach. What about you, though? Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about since I read this. Um, I've been thinking a lot about, like, how, what things would have looked like if, I think last year's, like, a real interesting, like, pivot point in, in franchise history because the Kevin gets hurt and the ties fired and things just are, like, it's the most miserable calf season I've ever been around in my lifetime, probably. Um, yeah. Well, not the most. I think the first that, time after yeah, LeBron that, left yeah, that was, was probably pretty, worse. Pretty bad because I had to watch, um, Freaking semi or den play meaningful minutes for the Cavs. Turkish, actually... uh, Turkish legends. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I I think there's a world where like this does work because I I think Ty at this point like is an underrated coach. Oh yeah. Um, I think Ty is a smart guy. I think I think the health thing is like a big thing because I do think if you look at Tristan. Um, you look at all these guys that got some time off. Look at LeBron, frankly, and just look how much like more refreshed he's looked this year with the summer off. I do think that does everyone some good to um get some real downtime, get some time to recoup and kind of get your kind of habits in order. Um, I think Ty will be a successful NBA coach again. I don't know like where that is. Um, yeah. I couldn't tell you if it's next summer, if it's a couple years from now, or what the right fit for him is. I do think that's going to be a guy who is an NBA head coach again and will do pretty well. Um, I think there's a world where like he could have been the Cavs coach for a long time and been pretty successful. Um, I do think things just broke in a way last year where like the Cavs just very quickly, um, I think decided to go through with what ultimately will be the right path for them going forward. I don't yeah. think ties the coach to shepherd you through that stuff. Um, I think it all was handled really well, uh, handled really bizarrely. You know, I, I, it, I will, I just, it struck me as so weird. And like, maybe it's just because the Cavs can be so dysfunctional for whatever reason that like Ty was, Ty was like clearly at odds with what some of the, the stuff from higher above was sort of suggesting him to do with Corver and JR and everything like that. Um, like you could, you probably could have just like bought him out his contract before that, if that's where you thought you were going to go. And maybe at that point, like the stuff with Kevin, there's a lot of like, things that could happen if you do that. Um, and that could have gotten ugly in a different way. But the end for that for Ty is not like my favorite thing that has ever happened with the Cavs. Um, I think there's, again, I think there's a world where like he is still the coach and they're doing pretty well. And maybe there's still some frustrating stuff with him and the Longobardi defense and whatever. But, <laughs> um, you know, I think Ty's a good coach. And I, I do think he like hopefully like will i think in time get some of the respect that i don't think he necessarily gets gets from the fan base no i absolutely agree at least from the casual fans for sure because i think if you talk to people who are dying the wool Cavs fans they'll always appreciate what ty did for this organization and for this team just on the championship alone and the fact that he made a really interesting point and actually i'm gonna pose this question to you in a second where one of the best things Ty did, and maybe he kind of learned this from playing alongside Kobe and Shaq and then playing under Phil Jackson, is he knew how to manage egos, and he talked about how he had to manage the personalities of LeBron and JR and Kyrie and Kevin, and then you had other personalities like Shumpert, who, I mean, wasn't a toxic personality by any means, but, I mean, was, like, in the media for not bad reasons, but, like, was available to people and just... And then you had all these other players and everything. It's just, I think in that regard, like that's what makes him such an underrated coach in the fact that it's a balancing act. And one of the telling things is 
he knows how to press LeBron's buttons. And that's what I was actually going to touch on before, because he talks in this article about how um, in, I think it was game seven of the NBA finals, he just went off on LeBron and telling him like, you're playing too slow. You're not trying hard enough, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, LeBron goes to, I think Posey, I'm just going to point this from James Posey at this point from memory. And he says, like, well, you're right. And Posey's like, oh, he's not wrong. And LeBron's like, fuck you. And then he asks James Jones, and James Jones is like, well, he's telling the truth. And LeBron's like, fuck you, too. And LeBron was locked in and ready to go for the rest of the game seven. And we all know how that ended. It makes me wonder, like, Frank Vogel is doing really, really well with the Lakers this year. And, like, that Lakers coaching staff is doing really, really well with its personnel. But I wonder if they're going to regret come playoff time not agreeing to have Tyloo or maybe not being so cheap. Cause I think money was the biggest thing with them and the negotiations just based on what I remember and what I read at the time. I wonder if the Lakers are going to ultimately end up regretting not having Ty be their coach because he seems like a guy who one has LeBron's respect, which is a huge thing. And two knows how to push the buttons and manage the egos of star players to make sure that they're, set up for success going forward, especially in playoff and crunch time situations. So that's like my next question is like, dude, did the Lakers hurt themselves by letting him join the Clippers staff? I think it's possible. I think Ty is an underrated tinkerer. Um, when it comes to playoffs, he made a lot of smart adjustments with a limited Cavs roster that last couple seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he made adjustments in the 16 finals that helped the Cavs win the finals. I don't think they win the finals. If David Blatt is still the coach at that point. I, oh, I, I really, I, I really, really don't think they're they're winning that title that year. Um, you know, I will also just say, like, I think it speaks volumes that Tristan Thompson like runs over and gives him that hug. Yeah, no, it, speaks, I... it speaks volumes to me that Tristan went and did that. Um, I think Ty was well liked. I think Ty had everyone's respect, and I think um, we've seen this kind of come up in football stuff, where like guys who are former players like sometimes get more respect. I wonder if there's something with that in basketball. Um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's not always the case, but I, I do think maybe there's something there. And I, but I do think Ty was, um, a respect coach and Tristan doing that to me was like a, a pretty big signifier that like, he does still have the respect of a lot of guys who he was around. Um, mm-hmm. and also like, I miss Ty just like doing stuff, saying stuff like I forgot when like we, he would ask, we would ask him stuff that he didn't really want to get into, um, about like what lineups were going to be, or whatever, and he would just say, I forgot, and he'd just like have fun with it. And I, I, I miss that sort of like, yeah, I think Beeline's like probably a little more verbose, um, sometimes without saying anything, but I think Ty could have a little more fun with us when we were just interacting with him. So I, I miss that part for me, selfishly, I, I miss too. that a little bit. I do too, and I agree with your point before that it's a shame how things ended. Maybe it could have been a lot cleaner of a divorce because. That whole period was just rough, man. Like, Ty was fired, and then Larry Drew was the quote-unquote voice of the organization. He wasn't the head coach, and then he had, like, a I public will contract. Ne- I will never forget being at a press conference before a game, and it, it was just, like, the most awkward thing I've ever been at because everyone was like, we're trying to ask you if you have signed a contract, but, like, we clearly know you haven't, and this is just yeah. very weird, and I don't, like, know why this is just so weird. Yeah, it's just... You know, like we uh, talked with Haley yesterday, uh, everything's just weird with the Cavs. Nothing can ever be normal with them, but I'm I'm glad Ty's in a good place now. Uh, he seems like he's in a lot better health. He seems a lot happier and just a lot more relaxed. And like you said, I don't think his time's done being a head coach in the NBA. He's still young, and he has a championship already on his resume as both a player and a coach at this point. 
and he likely could get another one as an assistant this year, and that's going to line him up for plenty of interviews because I wonder, like, if you look at the landscape of the NBA, um, if Philly flames out in the second round again, I think Tyler would be awesome in Philadelphia. <laughs> Ooh, I like that quite a bit. I do too. And then like, even cause Dan Tony doesn't want to be in Houston anymore. If Houston for some reason can somehow make their witchcraft happen again, or they somehow make Westbrook and Harden, then add a few more scraps to make themselves at least a Western contender. I mean, maybe he goes to Houston, but no Philly seems like the best option if Brett Brown doesn't work out, but yeah, no, I don't think Tyler's time's done as a head coach, of the NBA and maybe the Cavs are going to come to regret letting him go just based on the, the trajectory and the direction of the team under John Beeline heading forward. Yeah, I, I think it's certainly possible to some degree, but again, maybe it was better for, for everyone ultimately for that, that partnership yeah. to break up. All right, one last break, and then we're going to be back to talk about uh, what is, what some of the roster stuff that has changed. But before we do that, want to let you know that today's show is also brought to you by my bookie. Are you the type of fan that knows football or basketball so well that you could choose any game and call it? Well, my bookie is a place for you because they let you turn all your sports knowledge into cash in your wallet. Between football season, the NBA, the start of college basketball season, it's time to get off the sideline and get on the action with my bookie. If you're the type of guy or gal who likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they leave multiple games together for a much bigger payout. Um, this is also a subplot of Uncut Gems. So if you want to understand a parlay, <laughs> just go watch Uncut Gems. Um, so if you're going to bet the season, do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag because no one gives you more ways to win. If you join right now, mybookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you're going to get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. So what? yeah, that's a pretty, pretty great deal. Um, so today, all you got to do is go use the promo code Locked On NBA. That is Locked On NBA to activate activate that offer. That's promo code Locked On NBA to take advantage of my bookie's generous sign up offer, where you get your depo- match your deposit halfway up to a grand. So visit mybookie.ag today, where you play, you win, you get paid. We'll be right back. All right, Evan, last segment, a um, couple Cavs news things today that came through. Uh, the, the first one being, I say chronologically, the first one, Dylan Windler, um, with him being out with the Cavs, have applied for a disability player exception to fill his roster spot. Does it kind of get to the cap, but basically allow them to bring another body in. Um, what, do, what do you make of, of them just kind of motioning to do that? I, I think there's a pretty just kind of clear reason why you would do that, and I wonder if there's a guy on the roster they might use it on. I don't know who they're going to use it on necessarily, but I mean, it's a smart, logical thing, which, you know, I can't say that often about the Cavs. I'm saying that quietly just in case they're listening. Um, Kobe Altman, come on Lockdown Cavs. Yeah, please, Kobe. Just come on. You don't talk to the media, just talk to us. Just two blog to, boys. Yeah, just two blog boys. Come and chat. Um, you know, I can't promise it'll be as well lit as like your Goldman Sachs interview, but like, it'll be more fun. Yeah, it'll be a lot more loose. You, could, you don't have to... You won't be here for a long time, but you'll be here for a good time. But yeah, um, this is how I win. Exactly. So I, I don't necessarily know what they're going to do with it, but I mean, it's just a logical step because I think we touched on it a lot. It's just overall a bummer that Dylan Windler isn't going to play this year. And I actually tweeted out saying that I'm kind of bummed. I can't watch Darius Garland, Kevin Porter Jr., Dylan Windler, Larry Nance, and John Henson, which is, just the bench mob 
plus Darius Garland and then Dylan Windler thrown in as an extra wrinkle this season. So eh, it's okay. But um, no, I guess I haven't really read too much into the tea leaves or figured out what they're going to do with it. But I just figured I'm like, I just assumed and said, oh, it's the logical, smart step to go forward with. And I don't know, Chris, what do you think they're going to do with if if they are, if everything goes the way we hope it does, what do you think they'll do with it? I don't know if it's like going to be the most like um, logical thing to some degree, but I wonder if like they would. Um, I wonder if they would do something where you get uh, like Alfonso McKinney, you just bring him back permanently and kind of have and do it that way. I wonder if that's like something they could do, like when his ten day runs out, and then yeah. sign him for the rest of the year using that. It would save them money on the cap and kind of make guarantee that they can stay near the tax which is sort of what, what I think they were doing with all of these different kind of shenanigan moves anyway. Um, I think that was a logical thing. I, I think you have to sign a wing, though, um, to just kind of yeah. look at some current NBA free agents. I'm just going to pull – I'm going to Google list here live. But um, I don't know if there's, like, anyone that you're going to come in and it is, like, actually going to um, help you. You know, I don't think you're going to get anyone, like, that's going to come in and, like, be, like, a rotation guy – yeah. By any stretch of the imagination, you know, I know Alex Abrinas is a free agent. I don't quite know what's up with him. Um, Wesley Johnson's out there. TJ Miles, the former Cav, is out there. I don't think, you know, I think he's more likely going to contender. Um, Buddy, you're missing the big name here. J.R. Smith's still out there. <sighs> if J.R. Smith comes back to the Cavs, <laughs> like, good, like, oh my goodness. Um, I don't think him and the organization are on good terms. No, I'm going to leave it no, at that. No, no, uh, that. That was a joke. That was a goof. It's yeah, but, just just so people are aware, the Cavs and Jared Smith, um, not, not on good terms. terms. I be, if I'm, I, he's like, I believe the last time he was in the arena, it was the last game he was at, and he was drinking a Bud Light while Jared, where Jordan Clarkson was like talking to the media. It was, oh, it's a good time. Um, Jamal Crawford's out there. That to me wouldn't really make a lot of sense. I'm like looking through this list, and it's just like. A lot of stuff, you know, like um, yeah. you could bring Sam Decker back from Europe, like Corey Brewer's out there, former Caps 2A guy, Danny Dells are there, Nick Young. It's like that kind of guy. Um, you know, I don't think there's anyone that I'm like looking at that's like someone I would want to like roll the dice on is like kind of get in your system and try to develop. There's no one out there that screams like that kind of player to me. The Caps certainly I think will have a deeper knowledge of some of these guys and have scouted them more um, and whatnot, but you know, I wonder if, I wonder if they, I wonder if their plan is just like McKinney and this is just sort of cap space management in some way. Yeah, no, I think McKinney, excuse me, McKinney is a logical option. Um, I'm just parsing through the list now. I'm just, because according to the NBA, I don't know how current this list is because they have Carmelo still listed as a free agent on here. And, um, but, you know, Degadel could be an option for sure. Uh, Justin Anderson signed a 10 day with Brooklyn nine days ago so maybe he doesn't stick with the nets after the 10 day expires or maybe the, the Cavs waited out a little bit i mean justin anderson's a body you could throw on the wing too and he is only 26 so he kind of fits a little bit more in what the Cavs trying to work with in terms of the youth movement um but overall yeah no there is not a lot to really scrape here there might be a guy in the g league and maybe i reach out to a friend of the podcast ty windish who is a lot who watches and covers every single game of the Wisconsin herd. And um, whenever I have questions about G league guys or anything, I usually go to him. So maybe that's an option as well. Maybe they bring back uh Timothy Luwawu Cabarro. Or really Cinderella Stonewall could be another guy. 
hey, yeah, best defensive preseason player in Cavaliers history, Sendarius Thornwell. Um, yeah, no, it's interesting to see what they're going to do with it. But no, I think McKinney is the logical option because he's already acclimated enough to what the Cavs are trying to do. I mean, he drew the start last night against the Clippers in lieu of Kevin Love. Granted, Larry Nance is on a minutes restriction, so that's probably why. But um, no, I'm totally for it. Hey, you can also throw throw it at Tyler Zeller and get a nice little uh, draft class reunion. Or hear me out on this. Maybe for somehow, some way, Dion Waiters can <laughs> make his way back to Cleveland after his cryptic post of a, a peace sign on his Instagram story, which clearly means that he's done with the heat. So I don't know. It's like you said, it's probably just a financially savvy move just to try and keep the Cavs under the cap threshold and just kind of figure out what they're going to do going forward. And it's it's not going to be anything exciting. We're not going to be like, wow, Kobe Altman's playing. He's light years ahead, but it's, it's it's just the next logical step. And hopefully they find a nice warm body to keep the uh, rotation healthy, at least while like players like Kevin Porter on the mending coming back. Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay. Um, other roster news: they have the Cavs have signed a player that I barely, I think, maybe knew existed, probably did know existed, Matt Mooney, to a two-way deal. Um, on on Wednesday, it was first reported by Chris Fedor of Cleveland.com. Uh, it was the last day for the Cavs to do it. Mooney is a six-two Texas Tech product. Also spent time at Air Force and at South Dakota State. Um, while he was in college, he was on an exhibit tended with the Grizzlies before he signed with the Grizzlies uh, G League team, the Memphis Hustle. 24 G League games this year for the second place in the Western Conference. Hustle, 12.6 points, 3.2 boards, 4.5 assists, 1.7 steals. Um, what do you make of – does anything about this particularly interest you with, with Mooney becoming the second two-way guy um, coming in after Levi Randolph, after Tyler Cook, and then also – and being on a, on a contract alongside Dean Wade in this spot? Well, hopefully he doesn't end up like Levi Randolph. Um, where, did he even play for the Cavs? Uh, I think he was called up, but he didn't like actually do anything. Okay. That is, didn't want to sound like a total uninformed, unwashed moron here. So I'm, you and I are both in the same boat. Like I saw Chris Fedor report it, then I think Kelsey Russo reported it. And then the Cavs made it official and they sent us the email that they signed him to a two way deal. And I said, Oh wow, that's interesting. And then, um, I didn't really put much thought into it. Then right before we started recording, he asked me how I was going. I'm like, I'm actually reading about Matt Mooney, so I don't sound like a total idiot when I talk about him. Um, it's a solid enough pickup, I guess. It's just another, maybe another point guard you take a gamble on and see what you got. Um, a lot of comparisons that maybe he's drawn to, if you want to compare him to an NBA level player, is that he has a little bit of like a Dell of a Dover or a TJ McConnell streak to him, and it's not just because he's white. Um, He's a solid on-ball defender, and he is good at moving the basketball. And I've said this time and again, and I'll keep saying it until this renaissance era is over, the Cavs cannot be turning their nose at any player that they can take a gander at. Um, They're in talent acquisition. And if for some reason Matt Mooney turns out to be a solid rotation bench piece for the Cavs, awesome. That's the same, pretty much the same thing happened to Delve Dover, where he hounded the shit out of Kyrie in training camp and practices and just endeared himself to Mike Brown and then eventually David Blatt. And, and hey, maybe Matt Mooney is the next deli and I'll be over. I have to work in this pun. I'm over the moon by the time he works out, but we'll see. I mean, the Cavs can kind of just take a gamble and roll the dice on players like this. And 
he is 22 years old and actually is born two days before me small world i'm looking at his b-ball reference page right now and um eh, no it's it is what it is the Cavs, you know just kind of need bodies to have out there and be active and yeah, it's just something to take a gamble on, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It is what it is. So, what about you? What do you think of Mr. Modi? I think it's fine. You know, I I think it, the, to me the play here is clearly um like see if you could get a third guard to kind of develop. Like he's a younger guy, has the kind of skill set where it seems like he can play off ball a little bit, but still handle. That could be useful if you, if Beeline and the Cavs as a whole want to play multiple kind of ball handlers, smaller guards going into next year. Um, they yeah. certainly like to do that this year with Delhi and with Clarkson and with Brandon Knight. So this to me feels like you get a guy in your system, you try to develop him, um, maybe you give him some NBA burn if the roster changes up, and then you see if he wants to be like on your team, uh, if he's going to be on your roster next year. It's sort of what I think with Dean Wade. It's like you bring in Dean Wade. He, these guys are only signed. I would I think they're both only signed through the end of the year. You can match restricted uh, free agency contracts. I think there's a way that can sort of work, but. They're basically, I think, getting these guys in your system, trying to develop them, and then trying to make them rotation guys and next year, the year after, and so on. Um, that to me seems like the move. And I think that I I thought I thought Cook with Wade was kind of redundant. I didn't really I don't I didn't really see the value of Randolph on a two-way deal. This is more of the kind of thing I would rather see. There's maybe I don't know if there's other wings out there that would have made more sense or whatnot, but um, I do think this is the kind of thing you want to just see if he, it can work and see. I like that the Cavs, in theory, at least here, are like with Wade and with this, are like taking their two way thing a little more seriously than like, and no yeah. shade to these guys, but it's like this is a better caliber of prospect than like London Perantes and John Hahn. I like John Hahn quite a bit, like a very nice human mm-hmm. being, but like that was clearly like, okay, if the Cavs need to play someone 10 minutes a night at two guard for a month, Holland, there's going to burn through Holland's days because he is like an, a kind of an established NBA player with a, with a baseline floor. Um, Mooney's kind of the opposite direction of that. Oh, I would agree. And eh, just kind of see what we got going forward. And I like the idea of what you said, um, possibly developing multiple guards where you have maybe this time next year, if Moody sticks and Bayland is able to give him some burn and just kind of get him acclimated to Cleveland system is you could have Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, Dante Exum and Matt Mooney, like, and Exum can kind of play one through three, and you could do a three-guard rotation. You could do three-guard sets, and that's actually been kind of a fun wrinkle. Maybe we'll have to touch on that soon, is when Bayline rolls out there, um, a rotate a lineup that features Darius Garland, and then either Br- and then Brandon Knight, and then Dante Exum, or either Matthew, or Matthew Delvadova, you know, maybe because they're Australian, interchangeable. But it's kind of a fun little wrinkle that the Cavs are exploring a little bit, where they have a three-guard set, and if you can find guys that will stick here for the foreseeable future that kind of line up more timeline wise, uh, I'm all for it. And it's definitely interesting to see. And like you said, I'm glad the Cavs are being proactive with these two way guys and actually taking long, hard looks at prospects just to see if they're actually worth the time to develop and work with to see if they're of value going forward instead of just, you know, like you said, finding guys that you can burn through just to uh, absorb minutes and keep the bench warm. So yeah, no, it's, it's cool. Um, any final thoughts as we get out of here? I'm bummed for you, man, because we talked about Marquise Chris come, having a homecoming, and he's back in Golden State. And I'm, I'm just, just happy uh, Marquise Chris has a job. That makes me happy. Good guy. I, I was I, when I saw that, I thought of you, and I said, "I hope Chris is going to be okay." 
but look, I, I sir, I my my uh, my condo on the on Waiters Island has been like destroyed by multiple hurricanes at this point. <laughs> um, I've survived that, so like if if I'm good there, I I can survive Marquise Chris not getting his homecoming. It's okay. I I'm I am like if I've survived that, I, that's like I gotta find a new island though. I do need. I if anyone has suggestions of like player islands i should move to probably with like more stable climate like i don't mind a little like cold every once in a while if it's like less crazy than waiters island um mm. let me know you know i'm not trying to go to like to, to like the wiggins um i don't know i don't know like a good word i was trying to like come with alliteration there. i don't really have one um yeah but if you find give, give me player suggestions of guys that aren't on the calves that i should uh move take my cup paddle paddle to on debris from waiters island i need a new home i really do need a new home for like and it's like too easy for me to say like brandon clark cove you know yeah but Um, brandon clark's a lot of fun to watch and actually i'm really looking forward to that memphis matchup on friday a lot like it's gonna be a lot of fun Yes, I am too. Uh, we're actually going to have Mark King from Lockdown Grizzlies on for like 10 minutes on for, for Friday show. So that'll be a fun listen for you listeners to get up and close with Ja and the rest of that really, really fun Grizzlies team. But that's going to be it for today's Lockdown Cavs. We'll be back tomorrow um, talking about that game from our perspective, talking about to me on course perhaps and talking to Mark. But uh, for myself, for Evan, this has been Lockdown Cavs for Thursday, January 16th. We will talk to you tomorrow.